Jesus House in pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential, impacting lives. This message is being brought to you from Jesus House London. God bless you. Well, if you wonder the title for today's message, uh, the title, Finishing Strong, I remember a book by Steve Farah, who was a, a guest at our Mandate Men's Conference many years ago, and he wrote this best-selling book called Finishing Strong. So I borrow that title of the book for uh, the title of today's message. If you turn with me to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, I would just love to read the second verse, uh, that's where I'm focusing on, but I'll read the first verse just to kind of carry us into the second. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, and this is where I want you to focus on, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I want to read that same scripture from the message translation. Um, and that says Hebrews 12 from the message translation from verse 1. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers, all these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. And this is where I wanted you to focus on. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we are in. Study how he did it. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God, he could, put, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. Hallelujah. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. And it goes on to say, I'll add this part, when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. How many love the message translation? <laughs> I, I love it for the way it just basically brings it into 21st century language. It's, it's not the Bible I read in terms of my go-to Bible, but um, I, I love reading different versions of the Bible. And he tells this story and says basically that uh, we've got to have Jesus before us, put our eyes on him, look unto him, study how he did it, um, see how he never lost sight of where he was headed. And you know, today on Palm Sunday, uh, the, 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 the whole circumstances, all the circumstances as he was heading into Jerusalem, really speak into this scripture that I, I have read to you. Um, if you most, most of the Gospels write accounts of this, but what they call the triumphant entry 
If you looked at John's gospel, the the, the 12th chapter from verse 12 to verse 19, I I don't want to read the whole scripture, but uh, permit me if I paraphrase it. Of course, this event was taking place um, at the time of the biggest feast, uh, the, the Passover. There were tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews that had come from everywhere into Jerusalem um, for that feast. And um, Jesus uh, gets on a donkey and is riding into uh, Jerusalem. Uh, The historians tell tell us he was riding on an avenue that led into Jerusalem with palm trees um, dotted along that avenue. And the crowd grabs branches uh, of, of the palm trees and they go out to meet him. Now, this was very symbolic, the palm trees. It, the, it was symbolic uh, of a, an expression of nationalistic fervor. Um, these were people who used the branches of the palm trees to encourage each other uh, that they would soon be free from the tyranny of the Romans. And so they go out to meet him. Hosanna, they are crying. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Now, they were not crying uh, um, and praising him. Hosanna was really a more save us. That's really a, a probably more accurate translation of that. Um, it wasn't really about Jesus. It was about them. Um, all their cries were for themselves. They believed that this Jesus, who they heard had, brought, had raised Lazarus from the dead, uh, this Jesus who had that kind of power, would surely come, has surely come to set them free from the oppression and the tyranny of Rome and the Romans because they lived under the oppression of the Romans. And so what they were expecting as deliverance was not a spiritual deliverance. They were expecting a physical deliverance. What they saw as a king was not the spiritual king. What they wanted was a military king. They wanted someone who would come and set them free physically. And, And their excitement was because they thought this is he who has come to become political king and military king. And he has this kind of power that raises the dead. Then surely he can come and in the twinkling of an eye get rid of these nasty Romans who are ruling us. And it's instructive that when you read that, 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 um, that narrative of the, of the entry, there's so many things in there that, that, just, that just touch your heart, you know, because Jesus chose a donkey. I'll just tell you one of this, and then I'm going to go into my sermon. I could go on forever. Jesus chose a, chose a donkey because he wanted to give a message to them. Uh, the donkey, the animal that was, a, that was a peaceful animal, a lowly animal. Um, this is the king that was coming. Uh, he wasn't coming in there as a political king. No, he was coming in there uh, riding on a lowly animal, a, a donkey. He could have come on a horse if he was a war general, but he chose a donkey. Now, I just want to share with you certain things that we can learn uh, from the scriptures about the race we're running and from the scripture I've shared with you about Jesus riding into Jerusalem. Um, let me just say to you that uh, concerning the race that we are all running a race. And, and really, there is this race of life. And within this race of life, life is made up of other little races that we run that in totality makes up this race of life. So I want to share a few things with you about that. Um, I'll try and do this as quickly as I can. 
Number one, of course, is the nature of the race. Uh, um, that scripture in the message translation has a title uh, that says, Discipline in a Long Distance Race. Uh, this race we're running, that, that the writer of Hebrews speaks about, where he encourages us to look unto Jesus as an example of one who ran this race and finished this race with distinction. This race that we're running is not a sprint. It's a long distance race. It's a marathon. It, and it's not a race that is run on, on easy uh, on an easy, flat, straight surface. You and I know that in this race, uh, you can tell your story, I can tell my story. There have been hills and there have been valleys. There were times when we were running uh, uh, towards the top of the hill and we were excited and exhilaration flooded through our bodies. Uh, it couldn't be good, life couldn't be better. But then you know and I know that there were times when we found ourselves in the valleys of life. And so we understand that the race is not one that we run on a flat surface. We understand that the race is not one that we run through beautiful scenic terrain uh, and, and scenery uh, all through. We understand that this race is one where we don't just run through up the hills and come down the valleys and find ourselves in the valleys. We understand that sometimes we run at night. It's difficult to see. We wonder what is ahead of us. We wish we had a bit more light and sometimes we do run in the day. We understand that we run sometimes when it's raining and, and you can tell, I mean, you have your stories as to when it has rained. Sometimes you wonder, what have I done? It's pouring on all sides as you run this race. And sometimes the sun is shining and smiling at you. We run through all this. We run when it is raining and when the sun is shining. We run through the lovely scenic routes that this race takes us on. But then we also understand that sometimes we run through the harsh desert. We run through the wilderness. We run through forest conditions. As we run, we know that that we sometimes, sometimes en will encounter danger uh, in this race. Sometimes it's dangerous wild animals. Sometimes it's obstacles in a path. Sometimes pits that have been dug for us. That's the nature of the race. You know, before we give our lives to Christ, we think once we give our lives to Christ, it becomes a bed of roses. We have since found out that that is not the case, that we run a race where we run through all these things, but run it we must. We must continue running irrespective. If we're in the valley, we have help in the valley. If it's pouring, we have the Holy Spirit to be some sort of umbrella for us. And sometimes he allows us to get drenched just so that we can learn the lessons of life that prepare us for the next stage of the race. So my sister, wherever you are in this race, keep running. It doesn't matter. It's dark. Keep running because as surely as God lives, the darkness is going to give way to the light of day. My brother, keep running. You're in the valley. Keep running because the valley doesn't go on forever. It's going to become a hill and you're going to be climbing. It doesn't matter just keep running. The terrain has changed. The ground is rocky. Keep running. You're cutting your feet. Keep running. The spirit is behind you. Keep running this race because as you keep running, you're one step nearer the finished line, one step nearer finishing your cause. So my sister and my brother, keep running the race. The second thing that we are encouraged to do is to one translation says, fix our eyes on Jesus. One says, look unto him. The message translation says, study how he did it. What is he saying? He's saying, run yours 
like he ran his. He's a role model for us. We see how he did it. And we understand when we read the Gospels that this race wasn't on a flat, easy surface. The best tarmac, uh, the best track that, that actually aids your running. No, we understand that he ran through his valleys. He had valley nights uh, where he was wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane. That was a valley. It was dark. It was lonely. But he wrestled and held on to God. So my brother, hold on to God. Keep him before you as a role model. And he had a role model. As we follow him, fix our eyes on him, do it like him, hold on like him, rely on the Spirit of God like him. He had a role model. John the, uh, John the fifth chapter and the 30th verse, the, the, the Passion Translation says, nothing I do is from my own initiative, for as I hear the judgment passed by my Father, I execute judgment, and my judgments will be perfect because I can do nothing on my own except to fulfill the desires of my Father who sent me. The phrase or the sentence, nothing I do is from my own initiative, jumped out at me. As we run this race, may nothing be from your own initiative. May you be led by the Spirit of God, Romans 8 verse 14. Uh, may you lean on God. May you follow Jesus. Uh, may, may the encouragement be that if Jesus did it, then you can do it. That's what he wants as you run this race. Fix your eyes on him. There are too many things that are trying to get you distracted. Isn't it instructive? Peter walked on water once Jesus said, come. And as long as he had his eyes on Jesus, he was walking on water. But the moment he started to look at the boisterous waves, he started to sink. Don't look at the waves. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. That's why that, the, the message translation says, study how he did it. That's what the message translation says. says. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. So we study how he did it and then we do it as well. Number three, um, in running this race, be clear about the goal. Be clear about the goal. You know, Jesus was very clear about his goal. That's why as he sat on that donkey, I can imagine what it was like. I, I, I wish I was part of the crowd. I wish I had a, a, a front uh, place to stand so I could have watched. In my mind's eye, I have been in the crowd, and I have had that front row place where I could watch. And, and I see him on that donkey. I see his eyes almost steely, focused on his destination, uh, uh, determined as to, to reach his goal, focused on what is ahead in Jerusalem. It was a a, a painful death that was waiting for him, but it didn't matter. He was focused on it, sitting on that donkey, regal on that donkey. Despite the fact that it was a lowly donkey, because it was Jesus being on the donkey, he gave the donkey an aura uh, of, 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 of something it wasn't, something the donkey just looked, probably looked regal itself, because the king was sitting on this donkey with a focused look on his face heading down that avenue into Jerusalem. And what is this saying to us? Be clear about your goal. Jesus knew. His, he was clear about his goal. He knew that he was going to die in Jerusalem. He wasn't under any illusions. That was the goal, to die on the cross. He knew that. Many examples in the Gospels where he shared with us and shared with his disciples 
what was going to happen to him. And it's, it's, it's something that makes me marvel that he knew this and yet he was on that donkey focused on what he was going to do. Matthew 16 verse 21, the Bible says, the Passion Translation, from then on Jesus began to clearly reveal to his disciples that he was destined to go to Jerusalem and suffer injustice from the elders, leading priests and religious scholars. He also explained that he would be killed and three days later be raised to life again. Amazing. He told them this is what is going to happen. This is why I'm going into Jerusalem. This is why I must go into Jerusalem. I'm, I'm focused on the goal. And it's instructive that um, Peter who loved Jesus, thought, you know, but you can't do that. You can't go and die. You can't, you just can't. And what does Peter say in verses 22 to 23? The Bible says Peter took him aside to correct him privately. He reprimanded Jesus over and over, saying to him, God forbid, master, spare yourself. You must never let this happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get out of my way, you Satan. You are an offense to me because your thoughts your thoughts are only filled with man's viewpoints and not the ways of God. Amazing. He says, Jesus says, don't worry. It's part of the plan. I'm focused on my goal. I have to reach there. And when Peter starts to speak out of love, Jesus knows that it's not Peter speaking, but it's Satan who's trying to use Peter to stop Jesus from getting to his goal. And you know, as you run your race, there'll be many well-meaning people, many well-intentioned people. There'll be friends around you who are trying to tell you a better route to take, a better way, a shorter way. Who feel for you in terms of the pain and the sacrifice of the race and the journey that you're taking? And, and you will meet them. You've got to have heard clearly from God so that when they come with their good intentions, you know it's not them, but it's the enemy that is trying to use them to stop you from running along the path that has been designed for you. That's why Jesus rebuked Satan. Not that he called Peter Satan, but he knew Satan was manipulating Peter's emotions and Peter was becoming sentimental. And God does not work by emotions and sentiments. God works by purpose. And if God has purpose that that's the path, then that's the path. Go for it. Run that race and, and, and arrive at that destination. Number four, be clear about the prize. There is always a prize. And you know what helps in races is to focus on the prize. What am I going to gain? Why am I up early in the morning training? Why am I why am I lifting weights? You know, why am I uh, running miles every single day? It's the prize that is to be gained. Um, look at what the Bible says in Hebrews 12 verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. Who for the joy before him. So what was this joy that propelled God? What was this joy that propelled Jesus? What was this joy that made him keep going to a horrific death on the cross? What was this joy that we see on Palm Sunday 2,700 years ago where he sits on the donkey, stilly-eyed, focused, determined to go into Jerusalem, knowing what is awaiting him? What was this joy that could have kept him going? What was the prize? The prize was this joy 
joy. But what was this joy? Uh, Hebrews 12 verse 2 in the Passion Translation tells us what that joy was. The Bible says we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus who birthed faith within us and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. His example is this. Because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. What was it that kept him going? Why was he focused, determined to go to a horrific death of a criminal on a cross? The Bible says, his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, and so he endured until he arrived at the cross. As Jesus was riding on that donkey, names were on his heart. My name was on his heart. Your name was on his heart. The joy of reuniting us with his father, the joy of us spending an eternity with him, and as he rode towards that cross, what kept him going was it's going to be worth it in the end because my brothers and sisters will be reunited with their father, with my father, and we will spend an eternity together worshiping him. And so let's go. Let's keep pressing on. So keep your eye on the prize. Be clear about it. There is a prize. That's what keeps propelling us. There is a prize. Someone might say to me, what drives you in, in your own life? Believe me, what drives me is the prize of a nation and nations that turn to God. That's why I'm given to revival. I've given my, myself to it. I'm determined to do what, I, what needs to be done. I will do what I have to do. Obey God when I, when I have have to be a, obey God. Walk away from whatever God says I should walk away from because my whole mind, body, soul, spirit is that one day, Father, in my lifetime, we're going to celebrate the outpouring of your spirit that turns the hearts of people back to you and your name is going to be lifted high. Your word is going to run through the nation like wildfire and many are going to come to know your son as Savior. It's an awesome prize that is before me and before you, I dare say. And so for that prize, we press on. Um, and ultimately for the prize of spending eternity with God, we press on. You see, the challenge of a church that is not conscious of eternity is a big challenge. And when you don't live life with an eye on eternity, you don't live life how God wants you to live life because the ultimate prize is an eternity with God. And it affects how we live life here when we have our eye on an eternity with God. Of course, we do what we have to do here. We occupy till he comes, but we mustn't occupy without an eye on eternity. Number five, understand the crowd. Now, there was a crowd that was there, and there were all kinds of people in the crowd. Now, the crowd was an interesting crowd. They were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us. They took palm fronds, um, an outpouring of nationalistic fervor. They were desiring a physical emancipation from the Romans. They wanted a strong political and military, military ruler. But believe me, the thing that drove the crowd was self-interest and self-preservation. You see, as you run this race, you're going to meet many people along the way. Let me prepare you. 
that a lot of the people you meet will function and relate to you out of self-interest and self-preservation. Don't forget that this same crowd that was seemingly praising him, seemingly shouting the hosannas, was the same crowd that in a few days' time was going to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. So I say to people, understand the failings of human nature. Understand that we are a work in progress. Understand that when you meet someone, you meet them at a point on a journey, on a spectrum. And frankly, how they behave and how they relate to you is dependent on how far they have gone along the spectrum. You know, I have always illustrated this, that we do come through a door. Jesus says he is the door. So we come through the door, we step in. Now the truth is that some people step in and that's where they stay. Now if they stay there, they will be heading to heaven as Christians, but they are what Paul calls carnal Christians because they have not got to the point of maturity where the Spirit of God leads them, guides them, and the fruit of the Spirit is evident in them. They can be in, they can be in the church for so long. They can be, become a deacon. They can become a, a pastor. They can become a bishop, an archbishop, an overseer. But the truth is that it, if they haven't gone along that journey of being broken and then being put together back by the Spirit of God, then what you meet, where you meet them will be a lot of carnality despite the title that they might have. And you know, that's the way life is. So you meet someone who hasn't, and, and you know, we, we, because we're religious, we think once we give our lives that some magic has happened that has sorted everything out. No, spiritually, yes. You know, all things are passed away. Spiritually, all things have become new. But then there's a process you go through where your mind is reformed. Romans 12 verse 2. Your mind is trans you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that process of renewing your mind comes from an application to the Word of God, a submission to the Spirit of God, a yieldedness to the Spirit of God, and it is a journey. So if you meet me and I've just taken a step across the threshold of the door and I'm standing there, believe me, you're going to get so much carnality, it will remind you of someone who's not saved. But if you meet me when I've gone some way along and I am now getting closer and closer to the image of Christ, you will be seeing more of Christ in me and it will remind you about Christ. So please, guys, cut, cut the crowd some slack. They're, they're on a journey. That's why I say to people that it is very difficult for a human being to disappoint me because I understand that we are human beings. We are not angels. We are a work in progress. It's very difficult because I cut some slack. You know, people get disappointed when a man of God that they follow suddenly has a challenge. And I'm, I'm wondering, why are you disappointed? Did you think he was God? Did you think he was an angel? Did you think the title suddenly made him, made him different? No, you just didn't know all the stuff he was dealing with. We are all dealing with stuff. I'm dealing with stuff. Far from perfect. So I, I say to people, that's why I say to you all the time, you want to come and join me? We can learn together, work together, but please don't think I am perfect, far from perfect. I am a work in progress. Now, when you do that, then you don't get disappointed by anybody. You don't get disappointed because she did or he did or they didn't do or they did this because we are a work in progress. So please understand the crowd and understand that, that to the extent that we are on this journey, 
the further we get from the door towards the image of Christ, the more we drop self-preservation and the more we drop self-interest and it becomes a kingdom interest. But if you meet me near the door, believe me, you're going to get a lot of self um, and a lot of self-preservation, my own thing, my own agenda. Number six, don't listen to the crowd. You know, I, I sometimes wonder, as Jesus sat on that donkey, what would he have been doing? They were shouting and hailing him and cheering him. And, and you know, they were praising him. But guess what? Jesus was just focused. I don't think the crowd mattered to him whatsoever. I'm sure you've heard that story of a man who, to save his life, was asked to, I can't remember what it was, um, um, put some water in a cup or something, or maybe an egg in a spoon, whatever it was, and to run through a corridor, people on his right and people on his left. The ones on the right were told to cheer him on. The ones on the left were told to jeer him. And as he ran, uh, steely-eyed and focused, he eventually managed to get to the end without dropping the egg or without spilling the water, whatever it was, I can't remember the exact story. And when he was asked, you know, what helped you the most uh, as you walked, as you ran through uh, that corridor? Was it the people who were cheering you on your right? Or was it the people who were jeering you uh, who, who, and mocking you on your left? And he said, neither. I just shut out my, e I shut my ears to both of them and just focused on the goal. Don't listen to the crowd. You know, in an age that is dominated by views and likes, some people live for likes. How many likes did my post have? How many likes did that Instagram post have? You know, some people live by how many people have viewed my Snapchat. In an age of the internet and social media, this is so difficult. We are addicted to being liked. Uh, that's why we will change a lot of things so we can be liked. We'll modify pictures so we can be liked. You know, just a bit of common sense. All the stuff on social media cannot represent a person's life. Nobody has that kind of life. Our lives are not all that good. Have you ever heard anybody, anybody stealing and putting it on social media? Have you ever heard anybody shouting and putting it on social media? Have you, have you ever heard anybody lose their temper and put it on social media? Have you, do you see people do negative things and put it on social media? No. We put our best foot forward and put it on social media because we want you to like us. We're addicted to your likes. So we have to learn that we don't listen to the crowd. I say to people, I have one audience. The audience is in heaven. Once I please that audience, it doesn't matter whatever the audience here on earth is saying. It's frankly not relevant because the audience on earth cannot help you get to your destination. It's your audience in heaven that has the power to get you to your destination. So we have to deliver ourselves from the desire to be popular and, 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 and to be liked. It's not a popularity contest. And believe me, if you are doing things for God, you will get shot at. It's a, if, you, if, you, if you can't take it, the, the heat, then don't get into the kitchen. If you don't want to lead, then don't stick your head above the parapet. If you don't want, if you don't want to be used by God, and be persecuted for being used by God. That's what Jesus guarantees you, that if God uses you, you will be persecuted. As Christians, we will be persecuted. It is power for the cause. As I say, it's an occupational hazard for being a child of God and driving a kingdom agenda. So learn not to listen to the crowd. Learn not to listen. Don't live by likes and views. Learn to live by God and sense God's pleasure. It's fantastic how, you know, 
We are so, we've, we've been so messed up by life that we don't understand that you don't earn God's pleasure. Look at the example of Jesus. Before he started his ministry, God had already said to him, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He didn't have to work to earn it. My sister, God is pleased in you. You don't have to earn it. You don't need views to tell you God is pleased in you. You don't need other people's likes to tell you that God is pleased with you, my brother. Before you start, God is already pleased with you. That's why he sent his son to die for you. Number seven, as I come to an end. Number seven. What was it that drove him? What was it? Because you see, for Jesus, this was the last lap of his race. The last lap. In a few days, a number of days, within a week or so, less than a week, the race will be over. He would have arrived at the goal, the destination. He would have received the prize on Resurrection Sunday. By next week Sunday, he would have got the prize, you and I. So what was it that, that drove him? Well, number seven, he was driven by love. John 15 verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. He was driven by love. And you know, we learn from him. On, in this race, people will offend us. Oh Lord, people will offend you. People will aggravate you. I was, I was aggravated uh, yesterday. Aggravated, just aggravated. Aggravated. And, and I didn't even like how I handled the aggravation. I failed, I failed the exam. I failed the exam. I failed, 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 failed. F, 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 failed. I didn't like it. Because the fruit of the Spirit I should have showed, I didn't show. Because I was just aggravated. They just poke you where they shouldn't poke you. And you find out that you have not you have not died, you know, we think kill the flesh. You find out that the flesh just fainted and maybe went into a coma. But when there's a way someone can poke you, even if your flesh is in a coma, your flesh will come back to life. You know, that happened to me. So, of course, you know, we, we have to learn to love all kinds of people. That's the whole essence. That's what we learn from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We love the unlovable. And it's not, it's not a love that does not have action to it. No, it's a love that has action to, actions to it. That's why, that's why the Old Testament will tell you to kill your enemies. The New Testament will tell you to love your enemies. We, we follow him in the New Testament. We love our enemies. We pray for them. We bless them, those who despitefully use us. Where we, we bless them. And, and in doing that, we're leaving it to God. We're saying, God, you sort it out. And God will sort it out. You don't have to sort it out. In the Old Testament, take your, take your weapon and go and deal with the person who has offended you. In the New Testament, be like our Lord and Savior. He's the model. Love them. And look, listen to this as I end. Luke 23. This drives home the point I have just made as I end. Luke 23, 32 to 34. There were also two others, criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. Unbelievable. They're crucifying him. They've... they've, they've tortured him, they've beaten him, lacerated his back. That's what Friday is about, Good Friday. Eventually, they've driven nails into his hands and his legs. They've pierced his head with a crown of thorns. And then for good measure, they've thrust a spear into his side. They've pulled the cross up so that the weight of his body pulls against the cross 
so that the pain reaches levels that you and I can never imagine. And he hangs there in that excruciating pain. And he says, Father, it's okay. Don't hold it against them. Forgive them. They don't really know what they're doing. You know, I wanted to pray for someone who's watching. And you've been struggling with forgiving. You just haven't been able to let go. You just can't get it out of your mind. When you think about it, you are enraged that you were taken advantage of. You were abused. You were, you were spoken about. You were cheated. And maybe I haven't even described the circumstances that, are, that has caused that rock of unforgiveness. You know it's there. Your ex-husband maybe. I don't know who it was humiliated you. I don't know what it was, but I sense that the Spirit of God wants to come into a home now and deal once and for all with that rock of unforgiveness that is in your heart. Our Savior hanging on the cross. He's our role model. He says, Father, let, don't worry about it. I'll bear the pain. Forgive them. He makes an excuse for them. They don't know what they're doing. Heavenly Father, I pray for your son or your daughter who's struggled with unforgiveness, who has held it against another person, held something against another person, who feels angry as a result of what, what was done to them, who feels bitter perchance or some other negative emotion. I pray, Heavenly Father, Right now, O oh God, sweet Holy Spirit, depending totally on you, not the work of a man, but the work of God, that you will come now and rest upon my sister or my brother, wherever they are, O oh God, right now, Father, that there'll be testimonies of deliverance, that is, the deliverances that are taking place right now in the name of Jesus Christ, and that, Father, right now, I declare that they're set free from the grip of that spirit that has refused to let them go. And Father, they find it within themselves by the grace, by your grace and by the help of your spirit to declare openly a forgiving him. And Father, that rock, O oh God, is taken out of their hearts now in the mighty name of Jesus. I declare the enemy will no longer be able, will never be able to go back, Heavenly Father, to put them in that prison that they were in simply because they wouldn't forgive. I, I thank you and I bless you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I celebrate their freedom, O oh God, as I commit them into your hands, Father. For this for them is part of the new, that they no longer have to live with that unforgiveness. I declare that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And if there's anyone out there, you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, what a significant day to do so. Palm Sunday, as he starts that journey to the cross for you. Uh, if you're watching and you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, uh, I would love to pray for you as you do so. You ask me, what do I need to do? You just need to open up your heart and invite him in, as simple as that, and mean every word that you say. So will you say after me, Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. I receive him into my life as my Lord and Savior today. Thank you, Father, for receiving me into your family. I make a commitment 
that I will turn away from anything that is sinful and embrace a life of obedience to you and to your son Jesus. Father, give me the grace to do so. I declare, Heavenly Father, that today, O oh God, the 28th of March, Palm Sunday, I have now become a child of yours, a member of your family. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. God bless you.